I finally had enough ground underneath me. I've said that a lot. I feel like throughout this, the ground, continue to find the ground underneath me, which I think is a very important theme for creatives. How do we find our ground so we can kind of go to those places where we get more expressive or we might feel more or we allow ourselves to get lost in the art making process as long as we have a home base. So I think I was finally ready to, to go to those more emotional places. I'm Julie Clare, and this is the podcast, Creative at the Wheel. Artists and creative professionals thrive in unconventionality. They reinvent themselves and find their way through impossible situations. Here, we get to have deep dive conversations on their adventures. Let's jump in. Today, my guest is Adriana Marchione, and we will be talking about how art making can be an amazingly potent way to move through grief and through healing, along with other really neat things. Um, I can't wait to talk with, with Adriana. Um, Adriana Marchione, she's been involved in the arts for over 30 years as a filmmaker, dancer, photographer. She is internationally recognized in her work as a movement-based expressive arts therapist and educator. Adriana has taught at Tamalpa Institute, Wheat Institute in Canada, directed an art exhibit program at California Institute of Integral Studies, and founded her own wellness center in San Francisco. Her creative healing approach focuses on addiction, eating disorders, trauma, and grief. Adriana, she created um, a, a performance project, When the Fall Comes, in 2013, um, which culminated in a short film based on her own life story encountering intimate grief and loss. She is currently directing The Creative High, a feature documentary featuring working artists who have faced addiction and the natural high of art making. Welcome in, Adriana. Thank you, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> wow, here we go. You know, to begin with, I'd like to ask you about this statement that I believe you have said that art has always been a companion for you. I'm curious how this is true or what your earliest memories of art are. Yeah, I, I, my earliest memories of art, oh, well, it's so funny to think back at just such a different time when I was growing up versus our world today. And things were slower, there was more, there was more spaciousness. I did a lot of craftsy things. Uh, it was a nice focus for me, like coloring books or my grandmother's had different like crochet projects or cooking projects. Like there was a lot of um, women focused arts in my life. And my father also was creative in his own way. And um, yeah, and I think that it was something to grab onto something to lean into was something that just would occupy the time, but also help me feel connected to something, uh, connected. You to, know, did you have, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, yeah. Did you have experiences in school? Cause a lot of people um, do, um, were they, you got shut down with art, like at 10, 10, 11 years old, or were you in, um, ceramic classes in uh, school and you got a lot of encouragement or, what was your general experience when you would show up on an art class as you were growing up? Was that a positive experience? Or? Well, I didn't do that much. I'm, interestingly, I, I actually, I lived in Norway when I was 11 and 12. And I remember we had shop 
and I believe it was knitting, some kind of, some sort of yarn class. And then there was shop where you would create things, you would make things. Like I made a paper towel holder that my mom still has. It's terrible. Like it's completely messed up, but you know, it's sentimental for her. Um, And I remember enjoying that and I didn't do that here in the States. So it was a little different. And then when I was in high school, a lot of my friends were studying art, but I didn't do any art classes at school. Uh, I wasn't, I don't know, it just didn't occur to me or wasn't drawn to it. But then I did start taking a photography class, but that was, it was like at a, you know, it wasn't at school. It was sort of a separate place you would go, like a community college or something like that. And um, that's where I really started getting into it. But I didn't get shut down in classes, but I definitely had my parents discourage me from majoring in art. That was, that was a little dicey for them, for me to go that route. What about what about movement? Because dance and movement is such a big part. Were you always a mover? No, no, not at all. So none, you know, a lot of this stuff has sort of evolved for me. It's come over time. I, I started doing movement and dance when I went to this expressive arts therapy training program that had a dance focus uh, in, in here in Northern California. And it was completely foreign to me. I mean, I dance, like I like to just go to clubs and dance and, and and that kind of thing, you know, just very random. It wasn't like intentional. It would just sort of happen, you know? Right. Yeah. So, so that came later that I just learned to have a, be in a body and and move in a conscious way. And then, um, and then that just really sparked some, a love of, of that. And I think I always had that in me, but there weren't opportunities. I really, I did a little like ballet or, or modern dance in high school, but it just seemed a bit, I think I enjoyed it, but it wasn't something that I gravitated to. What was the, would you say there was a bit of a turning point? I mean, how did you get into an expressive arts program? Yeah, how, for sure. how did that start? Because it sounds like that was the start of a lot of the movement. Yeah, um, yeah. It was a big. It was a big healing journey for me. So that was a part of it. And I, I lived in a very anxious state. I, I think I grew up very sensitive person, and so I lived in a very anxious state. I struggled with depression. There's some of that in my family as well. And um, and when I started going to art school and and went to school in a very small town in the middle of Ohio, like like farmland. Um, I got, drinking became really a big focus for me. So I really got lost in an addiction basically and and just sort of checking out. But also I got lost in my art making, like that became an obsession for me. But I also got, I got really disconnected um, because I was, I mean, there's a variety of reasons I could tell you, but but really what happened is when I moved to California after college and had really been in a difficult place and going through a lot of difficult states of mind and emotional states and, and pretty much hit a bottom, you know, a lot of, I don't know if you probably heard those terms, like you can hit a bottom. And so I really hit a bottom mm-hmm. in my early twenties and started on a healing path of recovery. And in that healing path of recovery, I decided to use art in a different way and I started looking into art therapy as a path. And so that's how I got into this training program where then not only was it visual art and creative writing and some things that were somewhat familiar to me also opened me up to this whole dance world. And um, 
so because the founders, one of them is named Anna Halperin and then her daughter, Daria Halperin. And Anna Halperin's a very, she's still alive. She's, she's a hundred now. And she's a very famous uh, internationally known mm-hmm. healing artist and dancer choreographer. So that was like, whoa, here's this, you know, wild kind of eccentric California expression. Cause I had gr- grown up East coast, Midwest, and it was, it was very new. And all of a sudden I was into something new. I get it. So it really wasn't, I was thinking maybe art was always this big, like a primary interest focus. It sounds like it was your personal need to heal, recover, and um, In many coming ways, out of a hard place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it started out as, I mean, I was photography, mixed media. That was my, and some film. Okay. That's what I went to college for. You know, that was my, my main focus in college. And I, I had some success. Like I exhibited a lot. I was, I, so I was really had an artist's identity, you know, and, and that is sort of what I grew from a t- late teen to my early twenties. And then, yeah, when I came into recovery and started learning that my life was out of control and I wasn't coping very well, then it started moving into this other realm. Isn't it amazing that we have something like art therapy now that can be something we step into, let alone the movement, the somatic stuff. Um, Anna Halperin, um, I've heard about through years, uh, for years, so exciting. And Darian, um, so, and that's all through the Tamalpa Institute, right? Exactly. And that's, and that's what you entered in. Um, What did it, I'm curious, how did you get, what was it like? There you are. Uh, majored in art, you have this affinity, it's an identity, and now you're going for your own healing process, mm-hmm. right? You're going to enter in another way. What was that like, your experience there? How did that form you, do you think? Well, I think at first it was real a real identity crisis. I think it's something that I've sort of ongoing been grappling with and dealing with because I feel that I'm an artist, but I'm also a therapist slash healer. And I think that was starting to happen then where I felt like, oh, I, I want to just be a creative person and just devote myself to my art. But then I don't want to do it the way I was doing it because it was not, it was very, I wouldn't say destructive is maybe the extreme, mm-hmm. but it was really unhealthy for me because I, it was very ego driven. It was, I wasn't, um, I wasn't able to hold my own emotional balance at all. And so when I started doing this, I mean, at first, I mean, actually the, the training program, when I went to the training, it was very emotional. It was very kind of cathartic in a lot of ways. And um, so it sort of spun me on my head in a different way. <laughs> so mm. luckily I had recovery and tools and I'd done therapy and things like that, that could ground me while I was doing this new thing that was that really expanded my consciousness but also challenged me and in in a lot of ways it was like this international group of people and we were all like immersed every day it was like five days a week together creating and processing and you know going through our stuff and that I did that program I think overall for like a year and a half to two years when I and then I moved into a master's program in psychology and so I I was just stretched you know and and that was good. I mean, in many ways, I, I think I needed that. It changed my body. Like I, my body changed. I was, I was thinner and more 
flexible and, and, and I was living in my body really for the first time and listening to it. So yeah, it was, it was profound and it was very tough at times too, to go through that, but I, I, I needed it. And during that time, give us a sense of, you know, that identity with artist and um, therapist that ended up that you kind of walked into, right? Yeah. Doing both. Um, when you first started and then you went, there you are at the Tamalp Institute and you're doing these um, five days a week, this very intimate kind of deep training and yeah. dealing with a lot of emotions and body and coming into all this. And then you decide to get your master's in psychology. What was that? Was that a big decision or was that really obvious? Well, it was, yeah, it was a big decision. It was definitely prompted in some ways by my parents. I don't know if I would have done it if it wasn't for them. Like my father was very insistent, like I needed a degree and, you know, he's a PhD and and was very academic. And um, so it was really important. And they really pressed me, like, how are you going to make a living? And you got this to this training, but how is it applying the world? And, and I think, that's true. Like it, it did give me more credibility and ground underneath me, but it was partly prompted by them. And, and, and I, um, I don't know, I'm not sure what I would have done if I didn't do it, but it was still an expressive arts focus. So I was still doing the creative focus, but I was getting this master's to give me more ground underneath me, you know, so I could have that degree underneath me, that master's. Um, yeah. And it was, it was an interesting time because I just started doing the work right away. I just went in, I started teaching groups and learning about how I could apply this to people right away, started doing it for people in recovery with addictions. And, Mm. um, that was like my first workshop was this mask unmask. So that was my, this theme that I was playing with, which was, which was actually a theme I'd worked on in college in a totally different context. But it was this idea that the mask was, the addiction. It was like this defense, this covering, this protection. And then the unmask, what was underneath it was the true self, kind of the, the recovering self. The, that was really part of the process of recovery was unmasking the self. So I started working with that concept, which is actually something I still work with today, but it was very exciting to get into it. And um, it just felt so clear. Like I was, I was really on a mission to do this work. I wanted to help other people. And it was, it was great. When you were doing that, did you also move in the body with them as you were in the master's program? So you brought the, a lot of your learning from the, um, the Tamalpa Institute and all that you were doing with somatics. You brought that in immediately. Yeah, it was all connected. It was all connected. I was applying the methods that I was learning there. And, um, I mean, I definitely learned a lot of my master's program as well, which was different than Tamalpa, but it was all kind of integrated. It was this trans. Is this transformative approach, you know, a very embodied, creative approach. How did it um, help that you had been in, uh, that you were in recovery to be able to work with other people in recovery? How big of a, how big of a role did that play? Yeah, I've played a huge role. I, I was encouraged to, when in my training, I was encouraged to think about the population I wanted to work with or the populations. And, and it was, one idea was work with something you know, work with something that has purpose and meaning for you. And so it seemed really clear for me that that would be the the way to go, is that I'm in recovery. This has worked for me to use the arts to heal. So 
how might it help other people? So that was my master's thesis was all about using the expressive arts to support people in recovery. And so I, I did all this research and that was even part of like doing the groups over time and, um, you know, did case studies with people. And so it just felt, felt very natural because I already had this personal experience. It was very visceral for me. So I could sort of yeah. say, well, this is what happened for me. Maybe that might happen for them too. What happens, and I know I want to I want to touch on grief in a little bit, but with recovery, right? Because you're also currently working on this um, project, the Creative High, which is really about recovery mm-hmm. and creativity, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Um, what is it about creativity, the process of making art or moving artfully, or how would you say how does it how is it such a force for healing? Um, specifically, let's start with recovery or addiction. Yeah. Yeah, it's it really is amazing what creativity does. I, I think that creativity is this untapped, I mean, in many ways it is. People know, you know, there's a lot of people in, that are aware of the healing power of the arts, but I think it's also an untapped resource and we're hearing more about it and more mainstream these days, but it's it's ancient really. I mean, the arts are, it's so ancient and, and that, that's, it's shamanic. It's, you know, goes back to really like rituals that people did to, to move through transitions or to mark something in their lives or celebrate something, or obviously again, to heal. And so for me, part of it is, was a waking up process that recovery is we've been shut down or on some level escaping from ourselves and that art helps us to wake up and reveal that aliveness that we're really seeking through the addiction, but reveal that aliveness and, and track like, oh my gosh, like I'm having emotions, I'm having sensations, I'm having my stories or my memories come more to the surface. And if we have a place to put it, like for me, I needed to have my stories unfold in different ways. I needed to be able to have some distance from them and learn from them. And so art was a natural fit for me to place things and and then have a, a holding for them so that I wasn't just, sometimes it's just too much. I mean, I think that a lot of people also who are struggling with addictions, it's, it's so, re- so linked to trauma. And so that it, it just, there's too much stirring inside. There's too much turmoil inside. And so art is a conduit. It's a channel. It's a way for us to let it out, release it, express it, but also have understanding and meaning and, and make ritual. Like, again, like that thing that I was talking about when I was growing up, that it was Mm -hmm. a distraction or a place that I could, could just, it's, it can be very soothing. You know, there's a lot of different expressions have different purposes, you know, but there's just all these ways that art gives us a break. It gives us a place to put our pain. It also gives us a place to uh, release the pressure. What do you think it is that holds, you know, that sense of it? it, It's like art is a container. I'm thinking of um, painting. I'm thinking of somebody who was in years ago, uh, you know, because this is how I work with people. And and she was just feeling like she was, was just coming up very emotionally. I'm too much. You know, I'm too much. And, and I looked at her and I'm like, is this what you've been told? Because it just was coming out of just raw feeling. And she said, yeah, just always been too much for people. And 
what we could get to there with art, because she's in front of a painting, right? She's not driving a car. She's not having a conversation with somebody. She's in front of, with paint, in front of a big, big piece of paper. And we, we just said, be more. Like, how much too much can you be? Like, this can take it. Let it out. Like, that I know is one way that I experience it with people. Is that... Is that partly what you mean when you say container? Like it can take it, like you can't, like it's the paper's fine. The the rooms, you know, it can take whatever dance moves you have, whatever paint you're going to put it. How would you put that? Yeah. How is it that art gives you the space or that place to move something? Yeah. And I know when you're, you were started with recovery and um, an addiction really, right? And um I'm just curious what you notice in those beginning times, even uh, what would happen for people? How is it so helpful? Yeah. I mean, in thinking very similar to what you're saying is that it's a way to let it out. It's a, the container is it's a whole, it's a holding, it's a dance, the dance, or it's a, it's a painting or it's a poem and there's an emotion or there's a feeling or there's a memory that shows up that often, I mean, often there's a lot of pain points that we have, you know, whether it's, again, since I often work with people that are dealing with big stuff or tough stuff or, you know, things that have really um, been extremely painful for them in their lives, that it's a place to put it, right? So Mm -hmm. here in this poem, I can share about the emotions that I'm having. Here in this dance, all of a sudden my body can move into these different places and express it. And it gives me an outlet. It's again, it's a channel, it's an outlet. And, And it goes somewhere. It's not just stuck in the body. I think that's part of what happens often is, is how much we can hold in our bodies. And that turns into depression or, you know, sometimes illness or, just a feeling of being, again, really stuck or heavy. And so then if we have a place, it's like, it opens up space. We're not holding all that. And that's definitely true with grief because grief is really weighty. And that's, that was definitely my experience. It's like, it was so weighty and heavy and I needed to lighten up and find ways to get it out. And grief and, um, how can you share with us how that showed up in your life to where that became a focus? One of your focuses? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of the journey of my recovery is I, I met somebody in, in recovery also. And um, we had a 12 year relationship and he was actually older than I was and he had children and we, he was a musician and and we had uh, a wonderful uh, and very just dynamic love affair. And then we ended up getting married after eight years of being together. And soon into our marriage, he was diagnosed with lung cancer and went through treatment for two years and then died um, due to the lung cancer. And um, and so that was a huge alteration of my reality. And then a year later, my father very suddenly got ill and I was you know, very close with my, my father and he got ill and died again from a heart condition. And, and just, so all these things happened so fast. And so my reality shifted and it was another moment of 
oh my gosh, how do I have to kind of reorient and reinvent my life because it was based on these people that were pillars for me. And, and so art became another companion, like you said earlier, like it was, it was a companion for my recovery journey. It was a companion when I was younger. And then it became a very different companion in grief. And I had already been going through, um, you know, a lot while my husband was sick and, and I was writing a lot of poetry. So that was, that was where I felt the safest was just these really intimate poems. And I did a poem a day project for a year. And so just putting things there that would just hold something like a little snippet of my pain or a little snippet of my confusion or, you know, the numbness that I was feeling different things. And, um, and then, after he died, I kept doing that. And then I wanted to turn it into a performance and a, some something more expansive that I could ritualize it, that I could move through it. And so after five years, it took five years for me to finally, I think, really have the bandwidth to do that. I created a performance project that was all surrounding my grief journey. And that's... How would you, you know, and I, I'm, I'm imagining your art making, your poetry, your movement, um, you're working with people in recovery and addiction, and then you have this experience over some years, really, um, of having art be a real channel through grief, right? And having that show up um, even while your husband was sick and um, and later when he died and then your father. And what would you say? It sounds like there was a different quality to it. Is it specifically the weight, would you say, the weight of it? Or was it a... How was that experience of grief and the need to move it? How was that experienced for you a little different than in recovery? Yeah, it, it definitely, I mean, there were some similarities, but it felt very different. And, and I do feel like metaphors are very helpful. And I talk about that a lot in my work. And that recently I was sharing that a metaphor for addiction is being in a room on fire that you're, you know, that you're in a room on fire and you don't know how to get out and you're stuck and it's too scary in a way to leave, but it's so dangerous to stay. And so there was something very fiery and emotional and, and, and um, chaotic about the recovery process, you know, kind of coming into the recovery process and needing to find a way to cool down. <laughs> And and then in grief, I think weight is is often used as a metaphor, and that was definitely my experience. That everything just ground down to a halt. There was this feeling of suspension, like my life was stopped, and everything else was kind of moving around me. And so, movement was very important. And I was actually dancing tango at the time. I had been doing that with my late husband. We did it together. And then he, I kept going. I was just, again, I get very obsessed when I'm into things. I was very obsessed with tango, just became like a, just this constant thing I needed to do. And then even while he was sick, I kept doing it because it was a feeling of liveness that I could hold while, mm. while I was, you know, with someone who's getting sicker and sicker. And then I kept doing that after he died, actually, I think even pretty soon after he died, I went out and it was not really the greatest idea because I was so overwhelmed with everything, but, but it became a place that I could 
feel separateness. Like I could just go and my body felt actually awake and strong. And then often I would feel very weak when I was in my life, like that heaviness was really there. So that was an antidote for me for sure. And part of how I moved through it was, was being actively in my body and dancing. Um, yeah, so, so that, was, that was one thing. And, and I think the other thing about grief was just the incredible emotionality about it, just the waves. So people also talk about those waves of grief. So I would just kind of be going about and then all of a sudden I would just be hit by such an intense wave of sadness. And, and um, yeah, it was a lot, to, a lot to manage over time. A lot to manage. So then with creativity definitely gave you a place to channel energy or to experience. It sounds like something else like that vitality and the dancing yeah. and the tango. Um, did it change how you experienced the art making in your day? Like, would you, um, were you doing more movement with grief? Did you need to move body more? I mean, how did you notice that it shifted what you, your practices or what you actually were inclined to do? I know you were writing poetry a lot. Um, well, it's funny cause I couldn't, already. yeah, I couldn't do the, I couldn't do the expressive movement that I had been doing. I had been doing all this through Tamalpa and to, through the expressive arts, all this more intuitive movement, you know, dance that was kind of coming from a mindful place and it was more open. And, and then drawings and different things that I had been doing that were a personal process, but just, uh, it was a certain way of working. And I really couldn't do that because it felt, too vulnerable, I think. And the tango was very structured. So I needed something very structured and that, that there wasn't really any question. It was like, okay, you do this move, you do that move. Someone's guiding me. I don't Mm. have to guide myself. And because if I, I felt very, almost like too lost, I would get too heavy again or emotional. There was something that felt traumatic to like the trauma would come too much to the surface. So I had to find other ways to express myself. And that's why it took me so long to kind of be able to do the performance where I was guiding the movement, where I was expressing myself. I finally had enough ground underneath me. I've said that a lot. I feel like throughout this, the ground continue to find the ground underneath me, which I think is a very important theme for creatives. How do we find Mm -hmm. our ground so we can kind of go to those places where we get more expressive or we might feel more or we allow ourselves to get lost in the art making process as long as we have a home base. So I think I was finally ready to to go to those more emotional places. But it took a while. Did you did painting show up very much for you? Or drawing? Yeah, I mean definitely did some I mean visual arts always I've always leaned back into it whether it's photography or doing Kind of oil pastel drawings or collage. I love doing collage and things like that. So there was some of that, but not a ton, not a ton during that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't it amazing that the, that the help of the structure, having that ground, not having, not, not necess- not wanting to get, not needing to not get lost in the emotions, but to have some form. I mean, I'm, I'm partly hearing that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that was really key for me. And I also, worked with a choreographer and a dancer when I did my performance. And that was so great because they brought all this structure and so that I could 
play with emotion with a strong structure. And even though I had some of that when I did my training, I learned it to a different degree when I was working with these people. It was almost like they were like the perfect fit for me, you know, because I had already had all this creative orientation, um, but it was more open. And they're like, okay, here's a structure so you can hold these emotions in a different way. Well, now, and that performance is the When the Fall Comes. Yes. Yeah, that turned into the film. mm -hmm, That turned into that film. So the performance you did live um, and you had had this kind of help with these uh, kind of more, almost more technical Mm -hmm. dancers. Absolutely. Yep. And that was real. It sounds like that was really important to have your energy to to be able to move through that. Mm -hmm. When you, isn't that, isn't that amazing? Um, but that dance could, or movement could still be there, but the quality, the, the nature of it changed a bit until then you could bring, you know, you had some time around you, you said around five years, um, yeah. to really put that together. The, I totally get it. When you're working with people now as clients, um, having gone through that, um, well, I know that grief doesn't just end, but really having experienced what you had already experienced, how do you find yourself help? helping them find a type of creative focus outlet. How, how do how do you, how do you work that, you know, like finding what's too much, what's too open, what's not structured enough, what gives, what gives them a safe place, but lets them expand. I mean, how, how do you work that? How do you navigate helping people connect to their own grief with creative or art making creativity or art making? Yeah, that's a great question. And Everyone's different. Everyone's a little different. I mean, I've had people see my film. That's happened a few times, several times that people have watched my film. And then they've come to me and said, I want to do that too. I want to create a performance. I, I want to create something around the loss of my brother or my wife or my, you know, um, et cetera, et cetera. Or, you know, a transition that I'm going through that's really significant. I mean, loss shows up in so many different ways, you know, loss of a relationship or loss of a job, or, you know, of course, through illness, often we, we go through grief. And um, so, so then, you know, when people come to me with a specific idea in mind, then, then we already have something to work on. And then we look at whether sometimes they have a skill set, like I'm a dancer and I want to do it through dance or, you know, but sometimes people come to me and they, they have certain things like, well, I've written some poetry or, oh, you know, I'm, I'd like to try movement. Uh, and then, you know, we start creating a score, which is uh, a score which comes from uh, the tradition of at Tamalpa through Anna Halperin, uh, which is where you create, you create a structure for your creative process. And so I help them create a structure for their creative process where they have specific intentions in mind. Okay, this is what my, I'm aiming for. And then these are the activities. These are the things that I do. And then how do I put them all together? Again, is it going to be a, a performance that I create and perform? Or is it going to be maybe a series of paintings I'm going to do? Someone I've worked with recently who, who's gone through very a very difficult loss uh, and she just is already has a painting orientation. So she's just creating a series of paintings as a way to express her different emotions going through grief. So again, you know, it's, and then it's really amazing what comes out. Like people all of a sudden feel like, okay, I have all this stirring in me that I don't know 
how to manage or I don't know where to put it. And now I have this companion. You know, I have this companion of my art making. So so there's somewhere to go when I need to. Or there's a do you think that yeah. Do you think that companion quality, does that um deal a lot with the loneliness that comes with grief? I think that is a big part of it, is that it can feel so isolating, you can feel feel really out at sea. And so having something to hold on to, it's I have this this great metaphor I, I love that from a teacher of mine, Parker Palmer, who's a someone I followed for a long time. And I heard him speak about this wonderful metaphor about having a rope to to get you back home. Like if you think I, I don't even know about this, but I don't even live in winter anymore. But I guess like in the in the early days when there would be these terrible snowstorms, like in the Midwest or um, probably you know not just in America, but you know what I'm saying, um, that people would have these whiteouts would happen where you could, you'd go outside in the snow and you could literally get lost out there, like in your backyard. Right, right. And so they'd have a rope from the house to the barn or the house to the garage. And so you would sort of hold on to the rope. And so that, that was a metaphor that he would use about, you know, we need something to hold on to so we can get back home. And so I think that that's part of what art helps us do. It helps us, okay, I'm going to go out there and, and I'm going to journey a little, or I'm going to take the risk of experiencing some of these things, but I have something to hold on to and with the emotional turmoil or, you know, with the, the memories that show up that art gives me something to, to grab onto. Do you, how, how easy is it for people who haven't had the experience of being a dancer or a painter already to have this art making or creativity be this kind of rope? Yeah. Well, I think people that usually are drawn to it, when people don't come to it, unless they have a real inclination, it's something they want to try or something they want to do. And then I think if, I think everybody's creative. So if you have that inclination, then there is so much that you can do because it's not about creating a beautiful picture or it's not about, you know, the technique, right. Right. You know, it's about the expression and finding there's so many different ways to play with expression. And often it's like what medium might be most suited to this person or that they want to play with. And so that's part of the process too, figuring out what, what would be the right medium for, for you. Mm. So you definitely have people who are creative, creatively bent, but don't really have a form that they've spent a lot of time in, that um, their willingness is there, and, and they do find still art as that companion. So um, It's also imagination, that, that, too. Yeah. Right? I mean, I'm sure you, you understand that. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I heard something recently um, talking about how art is such a great way to to help with stress just in general. And, and that you don't necessarily have to even be making it. Sometimes it's about imagination and having it in your mind, like creating a scenario or visioning something or, um, you know, even like a color or a shape or something like beautiful that nurtures you, that even having those ideas in your head can actually bring you to a different place. So there's something also just about imagination, being able to let our minds go there. 
I totally get it. This is definitely my work too, in terms of meeting people there, but I, your experience with grief and your therapeutic background, all of that, I just, I just think it's so beautiful. The, um, do you notice a difference, a quality, a quality of content wise, I guess I'm asking a difference in people who are working through grief in their art pieces? I mean, do you, is it really recognizable to you? So, so what I like how distinguish it from someone who isn't going through grief. Yeah. Or say recovery or addiction and grief. Does, does the artwork um, look different through grief? Or is that hard to say? That's a, that's a really, um, I feel like I, I feel on some level, I want to say yes. And then on another level, I also want to say that everybody has such a different expression. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone has such a different expression, but that said, like, I know when I've worked places, like I worked at an eating disorder, um, eating disorder center. Uh, clinic for for many years and I would notice a lot of themes that would show up you know there would be a lot of themes like oh here's that symbol again or here's that you know that certain things can show up for people when they're going through something very specific like I I would do this body part work where I would have them work with expressing different body parts so the the metaphor like diff, play with metaphors of like the arms hands and shoulders or the legs and the feet or the belly this also comes from the life art the tomopa life art work so mm-hmm. so that you're you're exploring through creativity like you're finding images and poems that are coming out of your body experience and partly in the eating disorder clinic when i did that it was partly to support them to come more into their body or have some empowerment and um, look at the ways they were disconnected. And it was often amazing. Like, Oh, here's this, um, here's this closed posture showing up again. There's all this um, almost a feeling of shame or feeling of disconnection and seeing that come up again and again with, with some of the clients there or, you know, um, certain body parts were really triggering. Like, you know, so, so sometimes like the, the belly was very triggering. Sometimes that was a place people felt really uncomfortable or it was a place where there would be almost like a, a void what happened in that part of the body. And so, so I've definitely noticed different things kind of somatically that have been very clear about grief or about addiction or again, eating disorders. So yeah, there's, there's some of okay, that. Here's a crate. Here's a crazy question, but do you find that people use more black or brown or gray uh, when they're, I know that's specifically painting and not moving, but um, how could I say it? The darker or or heavier um, colors and, or perhaps, you know, orientation with body parts, if they're moving, I'm just curious about grief. Yeah, um, I think for me it goes to like my breath center. You know, when I when when I go to grief, it, it takes my breath away. It's it's lungs for sure. I mean, a lot of grief yeah. is in the lungs. I mean, there is so so definitely there is that. I mean, that I think that Chinese medicine and there's a lot of systems that would talk about that. That's that's a place where, yeah, holding the breath or constriction mm-hmm. or again there's again the weight um, and. I don't know with colors, part of also for me, it's more about 
the quality, like the metaphors that show up again, like the metaphor mm-hmm. or the movement of weight, you know, like, like feeling that heaviness or feeling that weight. And so noticing it more, how people might feel that in the body and then, okay, how does that express itself in an image or in a dance? And, and to me, Adriana, what I hear, which I love, yeah. which is, uh, is the curiosity that there is no analysis really uh, where, oh yes, uh, in grief, you notice more browns and blacks and you notice more, there's just no straight lines like that. I hear yeah. you going back to that place where we work from, right? Which is curiosity, yeah. noticing, um, tuning in, um, following that that rope, that line, yeah. seeing how this is showing up. But, but it, an amazing amount of of interest and curiosity is what I hear. Yeah. Um, do you, do you ever have somebody you suggest creativity and they say, no, that, that's not going to work for me? Yes. Well, and I just, <laughs> I just wanted to say too, that you're right, that I don't like to be prescriptive that way. Right. You know, right. I hear it. And yeah, I think that, that that's part of like my therapist artist thing. Like if I was a researcher and I was really getting into like, yes, let's get into all the minutia of like, and I've done some of that, but generally like for me, I want it to be more of a expressive process and individualized process rather than going into those more prescriptive ways, even though we could go there, you know, but, um, and yeah, I've definitely had people come to me and still do sometimes where they don't want to be creative. <laughs> they don't, yeah. Yeah. you know, and they really feel like since I am also, you know, I'm a, I am a somatic therapist with a creative orientation. Sometimes people come to me and they just really want to talk or they want to feel more connected to their body and, and being expressive is too risky or it's just not in their wheelhouse in the moment. And I try to honor whatever people need. Yeah. And do you, how is it showing up for you in your own creative life right now? How much of your art life where your movement life, your expressive life, whatever is um, healing oriented at this point? Um, And, or maybe how much is, going into kind of developing yourself in whatever art form that is, say with the tango or. Yeah, I'm not dancing anymore. Unfortunately, not tango. I stopped a while ago Mm -hmm. so that I'm missing that. And especially now it would be hard to do it during COVID. I think that's one of the things that I'm sure is really one of the many things that are falling out at the moment. Um, And I was doing more dance classes and things like that just for my own sense of release, but I'm not doing that as much right now. I'm really, I'm really focused on this film. I mean, a lot of my creativity is just going into finishing this film, this, this film on the creative high and addiction and and recovery and, and creativity. So that's been great and really tough because it's so much minutiae and, you know, kind of getting the final cut together and dealing with, tweaking this and tweaking that and contracts. And so a lot of my creativity has gone into just this project, which I didn't expect to be such a huge time, uh, time waste. (laughs) That's the wrong way for, but time (laughs) taking time away from other things. And then, and then, you know, my business takes a lot of work. And so right now, sometimes it's simple, like just taking walks and taking pictures on walks or doing little collages. So I've been in a very simple mode with my own creativity. Yeah. So photography pictures and um, little collages, 
So there's that sense of it's right there, a companion, but not necessarily primary focus because yes, this film is a pretty big focus. Let's let's make sure to name the film here. I know that it hasn't come up here, um, hasn't isn't out yet. Uh, it's called The Creative High. Um, and I know I mentioned it at the beginning. It's a documentary featuring working artists who have faced addiction and the natural high of art making. Why make a film? I know we're, we're getting to the close of our interview here, but why go for it? Why make a film? Yeah. Well, I mean, what happened, <laughs> I know it's insane. It's a crazy, it's a crazy endeavor, especially when you're working with a team. I have a very advanced team and they just, um, you know, it's a whole nother level of, of production. Uh, well, my, yeah. you know, doing my, when the fall comes, when I did the performance and then I decided to make it into a short film, it was really about embracing my own creative life in a new way or in a kind of coming back around because I had been midwifing so many other people in their creative lives. So it was very important for me to embrace that process. And it was so rewarding to make a film. It actually was, it was hard, but it was a pretty straightforward process that didn't take a, a really long time to make when the fall comes. And then it kind of inspired me to keep going. And I had a coach who was like, make another film, make another film. And, um, and then it just seems so natural to, to make it about the addiction and creativity focus since I had been, that's been really my life's work in many, you know, in many ways and my life, my own life path. So it felt, it was really exciting for the first couple of years. And now <laughs> five years in, it's more just work. But, um, but I also have to say it has, it's been really incredible. It's been such a rich thing to have something that hopefully when it comes out will, will really support a lot of different people and give people a window into a different perspective on how it's nine different stories of creatives, nine different stories of you know, people from different walks of life and different creative perspectives of showing how they've transformed their life with, with creative work. Beautiful. Wow. I can't wait to see it. Um, I'm going to include the link to everything I have links for, including the, uh, the when the fall comes and then this and your website, it'll all be uh, here with the show. So people can find out more about you and the work you've, you've got lots of great things online for people to look at. Um, they can, uh, I think rent the, when the fall comes and watch that for themselves. Yes, definitely. And, um, so there's all kinds of ways. So I, I thank you so much for jumping into this conversation, both with recovery and grief really and creative process and, um, much love. Is there, I, I guess I would just end with a question of, is there a question I'm gonna, that you would like to be asked that you're never asked? Thank you, Julie. This has been great. It's been wonderful to talk with you. And um, yeah, is there a question I'd like to be asked? Um, hmm, I guess something about what nur what really nourishes me. Yeah. Because thank you for yeah, that. I think yeah. that would be the question. Yeah, I love hearing what people say. Thank you for that, Adriana. Um, till next time I look forward to following you with all this with the film and everything else and thank you so much well that's today's podcast of Creative at the Wheel before we go I want to thank you for listening and I invite you to tune in again you can listen to more of these podcasts on SoundCloud on my Creative at the Wheel channel you can learn more about my one-on-one -on -one coaching for creatives 
on my website, paintbiglivebig.com.